This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. And this is Megan McCulloch, Research Analyst at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're here with Melissa Houston, a financial strategist for CEOs and founder of the Business Society, to talk about how finance teams at startups and small businesses can improve cash flow and risk mitigation. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Hey, Mercy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here again. Absolutely. Always glad to have you back on. So at APQC, we recently surveyed over 300 finance professionals to learn about the focus areas, initiatives, and challenges they expect for this year. And we found that cash flow and risk are two of the top priorities for this year. And when we cut the data by small versus large companies, we also saw that these are two areas where small business finance teams have a little bit of catching up to do. So we knew we had to get Melissa back on the pod because she is a real expert when it comes to teaching small businesses and startups how to compete. So (laughs) thank you for that. (laughs) Hey, I see see you doing it all the time. And so we need to get, get your input on this. So my first question for you is, how can small finance teams move faster to build finance risk management programs? In our survey, we saw that they were pretty far behind. So do you have any tips for perhaps what they can focus on to make more of an immediate impact or any ideas for how folks can do more with less people? Absolutely. So when you're creating your finance risk management programs, the first thing you really have to do is understand where you want to take your business to. So creating a strategy plan, which is also known like, you know, a 12 month forecasting model. So you have an idea of where you are today and where you want to be 12 months down the road. So when you get clear on that, you can identify any risks that would, you know, be an issue or threaten your organization, right? Um, For people who like maybe larger organizations, you can create a risk management team to look at your your risks, you know, on a regular basis and identify these risks as whether they are high importance, medium risk, or low risk. Once you learn how to categorize them, you pay more attention to the higher risks because those are the immediate threats to the business. So you know that you have to deal with them, you know, immediately and identify any risk mitigation strategies that you may come up with when you're looking at these risks that are threatening, you know, the, the financial situation of your business which could include, you know, any threats that you have towards, um, you know, your revenue or any environmental threats you have um, in terms of creating that revenue or even like security threats, like anybody hacking into your, your, your business and causing, you know, litigation problems or what have you. Like there's so many different risks that you can mitigate that are financial that small businesses don't necessarily think of, but should. Mm. So, Melissa, we in our survey, we saw that the finance teams at small organizations are quite far behind in monitoring specifically market risk. So can you tell us a bit about the different types of market risk and what small finance teams can do to to get a better handle on, on this particular type? Yeah, market risk is definitely a hot topic these days, especially, you know, post-COVID. But we have, it's such an uncertain time in the world these days. And typically when you're, when you're thinking of your risk strategy and mitigating risks, a lot of it is having like, you know, like, like say for example, a cash reserve that would get you through like three to six months of market 
condition uncertainties, right? And right now I would say, personally, I'm not comfortable with three to six months. I'm more comfortable with six to 12 months. That sort of runway to keep my business going because times are literally so uncertain. So having more of a cash reserve in place to help me through leaner times is definitely a priority for my small business. And I feel that a lot of businesses should be looking at it that way, right? We have so many risks. I mean, product-based businesses are at risk of, you know, ordering their supplies and not getting their shipments on time. There's foreign exchange risks. There's interest fluctuations that we need to consider. There's many things going on in the world. So having that risk mitigation strategy in place and considering these possible risks for the long-term is important. Absolutely. And uh, uh, definitely another theme that came through in our survey is cash, cash, cash. It's all about cash flow and having those cash reserves on hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cash is the lifeline of a business, right? So ensuring, I mean, the first tip that I have for cash management is when things are going good, this is when you should really be looking at how to have plan B for when things may not be so rosy, right? So if you don't have any lines of credit set up with the bank or any loan financing set up um, in case of an emergency, the best time to do that and visit with your bank is when things are going well and you don't need this. So that's when the bank is going to approve any sort of lines of credits or loans. So get those in place and prepare yourself for the times when the cash will be, you know, coming in a little slower or, you know, stop. Unfortunately, that happens. And another thing that small businesses can consider when while we're speaking of, of cash infusions is not limiting your, your um, income stream to just one. Having a diversified income stream, selling different products and services so that if there's market fluctuations in one service that you're selling, that the other income streams can cover you while, you know, there's a dry spell in one and, and you don't feel the financial hit as hard as you would if you were solely relying on one income stream. Absolutely. Those are some really good tips. Thanks, Melissa. So the next question I wanted to ask you is about budgets and forecasts. Do you have any strategies or considerations that you would recommend for small finance teams that are trying to build more responsive budgets and forecasts? This is like my absolute favorite topic. I love budgets and forecasts because I really feel that the more you plan for your business, the more you're going to stay on track. These forecasts that, you know, these 12 month forecasts, they're really like a roadmap or a lifeline to your business. You you follow them and like this is what you're you're striving to achieve. So not only is it important to create that financial forecast, but you need to monitor your results against that forecast each and every month, right? So that and that's where the real magic is because that's where you can find what's going well within the business and what needs to be corrected. So if you're losing money on something, you're not waiting six months down the road to fix it. You get that immediate feedback when you're looking at it on a monthly basis. You fix it right away and you're you're plugging up money leaks. So that's super important strategy to, to start doing in your business and ensuring that you're, you know, not only creating the budgets and forecasts, but you're monitoring monitoring your results against them. Absolutely. And I have a little bit of a follow-up for you on that, Melissa, just because I know you probably have some good answers for this. Are there some common missteps that you've seen a lot of um, small business teams do in building their budgets and forecasts? 
Yes, they're okay. The big one is emotional. Okay. And I know that it's not commonplace to talk about business and emotions, but small business owners get emotional about the results and their and the finances that are going into their business, right? So there's a lot of overwhelm at the beginning, especially when you know money management in your business is new to you. So overcoming the overwhelm and starting step by step taking it piece by piece and following, you know, your budgeting and, and your, your monitoring of your budget and taking the emotion out of when you're looking at the numbers as, you know, either a personal failure or, you know, a great celebration and just look at it for what it is and it's data. And when you look at it as data and take the emotions out of it, you have more of a clear head and more of a business head where you can see where the problems lie and how you can correct them. So that would be the number one goal I would say when it comes to managing your money and your business is to take the emotion out of it. I know it's easier said than done, but when you're cognizant of it, it's 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 just more, you know, it's it's easier to learn or or remind yourself to do, right? The other mistake is a lot of people are putting like sort of too much money into um, marketing and Facebook ads and stuff like that when they don't have necessarily a system in place that that is working, that is efficient. So bootstrapping your business, especially at the beginning, is really important because once you get that sort of refined um, sales funnel going and such, then you can start putting some ad dollars behind it. If you do that beforehand, you're not likely to get the return on that investment. So bootstrap get it in place first, and then start putting the money in as your business is earning profit. So you're not over leveraged in your business and over leveraged is meaning too much debt. That's great advice, Melissa. Um, and, and with that, I want to pivot to business models. So we see that most small organizations are at least exploring the implementation of a post-COVID business model to help their cash flow. So what do you think are the most important factors they should consider integrating to the new business models? Absolutely. I mean, it's like what we were speaking about a little bit earlier, where we were yeah. talking about, you know, the world being so unpredictable right now and having those cash reserves that are going to six to 12 months instead of three to six months of the operating expenses, right? Um, and setting up those those plan B's and plan C's are really important when it comes to cash. Now, when you're looking at business models in another sense too, you could do a lot of scenarios, right? You could do your worst case scenario versus a better case scenario. I prefer to be on the conservative side when I'm looking at business models and forecasts and such like that, right? So when it comes to revenue, I always sort of underestimate the revenue coming in. And when it comes to expenses, I kind of inflate them a bit so that, you know, if I get a better case scenario, then it's more of a win for the business rather than like, well, well wow, what just happened, right? So um, it's just being conservative with your business modeling and your budgeting and your scenario analysis and such, and knowing that there's good, better, and best case scenarios that you can be looking at. So Melissa, a quick follow-up for you on that. Are there some opportunities that small businesses might have to pivot in a post-COVID world that they might not think are available to them, but actually are? 
Absolutely. And this all comes down to like creating that financial plan, that operating 12 month forecast, right? So when you're, when you're in the planning process in your business, this is where, you know, there's a lot of reflection that's done as well. You look back on the last, you know, year, five years, 10 years, whatever, and you see how far you've come, but you realize like, especially with the event of COVID where we were all blindsided by it, a lot of brick and mortar businesses, you know, really suffered because they didn't have an online presence and so on, it's the time to start thinking about how you want the future to look, right? So now that we know like pretty much anything in this fiscal world is possible, knowing that, you know, maybe if you're a brick and mortar business and you haven't gotten that online presence yet, that it that is a risk that you need to plan for, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you are a business who got really hit during COVID, um, like let's say for the restaurant industry, and they pivoted to you know a lot of takeout, whatever. Maybe um, restaurants can you know do online cooking classes, and I'm just making this stuff up, right? But that's the time where you start pivoting, kind of start thinking out of the box, where it's like, okay, we offer this service, but what else can we offer on top of it? right? Because it goes back to what I was saying too, about having multiple streams of income. So if one dries up, then you you still have a couple of others that are going to generate income for you. So um, like, let's say, for example, if you're a retail business, you're a clothing business, right? And you only have that, that, you know, come in my store and see what I have. And you can do like, I'm, uh, I don't know, like a personal shopper, you know, um, somebody who helps yeah, someone yeah, dress. Yeah, for some, the, yeah, to help you dress for the day and fit your body type and exactly. Yeah, yeah. or mm-hmm. or you can you know make sure you have that online presence too, so people can shop online. But you know, there's always different ways to pivot. And then the other thing you can do too is really look at your expenses and see, okay, so. Facebook ads are like skyrocketing right now. What other ways can I get clients in? You know, look at more organic ways, cut the costs of Facebook ads and get out there with your social media presence. Um, because all businesses, no matter big and small, you they have social media presences now because that gets the customer and client's attention, right? So know where your audience lives, whether it's LinkedIn or or Instagram or wherever, and start you know your social media campaigns to target target new customers and then customer retention. Think of your your sort of like that sales pipeline for your customer, the client journey, what have you, and ensure that you've got, you know, once a client has gone through, you know, a specific program or service that you have, that you have something else that you can maintain their their business with, but that also solves a problem that they, they need need solved. That leads me to to questions around innovation. Do you know how how can how can people spark innovation to help pivot? Because it, it seems like those two may be connected right now to be, like you said, think out of the box and be creative. So are there any tips that you can give people on how to spark that innovative thinking in order to, to pivot? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is really invest in a business coach. Business coaches are so valuable, especially in this day and age, right, where we're, we're just hit with so much going on in the world and so much going on online and stuff. So if you can find a mentor that's been through it, like kind of paved the path for you, and you can get mentoring and advice from and have them, you know, sort of bounce ideas off of and help you think differently. I personally think that that is a great investment. So whether it's through like a one-on-one coach 
or joining some sort of mastermind or something where, you know, as business owners, we tend to feel like a lonely group of people because, you know, at the top, there's really nobody that you can confide in and get, you know, a sounding board, somebody to, to, you know, bounce ideas off of or whatever. So business coaches and mastermind uh, groups pay like a really important role in getting different perspectives and different ways of thinking going. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. You can't, um, you know, innovate with your blinders on. You have to take those off and get some external perspectives. And be open to the external perspectives too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great talk. Well, once again, I'm Mercy Harper. And I'm Megan McCulloch. Thanks for listening to this APQC podcast. To learn more about our research, please visit apqc.org, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.